good to have everybody here tonight. We are ready to get into the Word. You can make your way to your chair. We have a semi-exciting subject tonight. Everybody loves to know what the future holds. How many of you like to know what the future holds? Or let me phrase that. We would like to know what the future holds. And the uh, Word of God here talks about uh, something in the future. And is an, an event or a subject called the rapture or the catching away of the church. So we're going to be looking at it actually quite a bit in Thessalonians. Uh, talks about the second coming, the rapture, uh, those types of that area. And so we'll be talking about this area for a couple of weeks. Uh, and it's appropriate because uh, the day we live in is an interesting day. So let's pray. Father, thank you. We ask for your anointing. Wisdom, direction, counsel, understanding. And Lord, we just say that we need you. We need your understanding. We need your wisdom to be able to understand what you're trying to say to the church. And we submit to you, Lord, and we acknowledge that without the Holy Spirit, there's no way that we can understand what you're saying. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts and our minds. Give us direction, wisdom, counsel. We love you, Lord. And Lord, I ask you to help me to accurately, rightly divide the word of truth so that this would be beneficial to us, helpful to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to read. I'm going to go ahead and read the passage. It's not a long passage. Uh, Brother, Brother, ben, Brother Ben brought us up to verse 12. Thank you, Ben. Uh, but he decided he would leave the rapture to me. I'm not sure why you did it that way, but you just decided it was a change of subject. There you go. Just I'll let Brother Renee handle this. There you go. All right. So I'm going to read it in the New, New King James Version. Normally we read, read out of the uh, New Living, but for a couple of reasons, I want to read it out of the New King James. Verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. So notice there are three things all give the picture of something sudden, something dramatic. Uh, descend from heaven with a shout. So it does not sound like he's going to sneak in town. It sounds like he's just going to ease in and, and no, it's a, with a shout and then with a the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. So three things, all loud, all seem to be announcing his presence and his appearance. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And there's that word. Sometimes uh, it, it, it is a word uh, in the Greek that means to be seized up. It, it even has the connotation of not violently, but suddenly and quickly to be seized, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. Now let me just give it a little context. Thessalonians, uh, they didn't get a lot of teaching from Paul. He was forced to leave town. You mostly remember the story. Uh, soon after he kind of got in town and had just started the work and he had to leave town because they wanted to kill him. And so he didn't get to do a two or three year study and explain a lot of things. So since Paul left, a false teaching had begun to penetrate and that false teaching was that the day of the Lord had already come. And that concerned a lot of the believers there in Thessalonica. They were very concerned, and they were worried. They were uh, upset, and this was the point of their concern. What about those of us who believed in the Lord and have died, and now they're thinking, what happened? The Lord came back, and... What about our loved ones that have already died? What's, what's going to happen? Did they miss the second coming of the Lord? Did they miss this? And, of course, this is all based on uh, false teaching. Uh, the Lord has not returned. Uh, he had not returned. Uh, but it still presented great trouble. And that kind of tells you that whenever we're not grounded in God's word, it opens us up to crazy things. People who are not well grounded and, you know, understand God's word and have spent some time and been in church and and learned the word and studied the word. Those people that have not done that, they're kind of open to anything. And some guy comes along and says some crazy thing and they're liable to believe it. So it's another testimony of why we need to be in church, why we need to study the word on our own. And I love the fact that uh, the ladies and the guys, you have extra Bible studies, we have life groups. All of these things are designed to help us to understand and get grounded in God's Word. So there's more to it than just a sinner's prayer. There's the grounding and rooting our, of ourselves in God's Word. So here, he wants to uh, answer, notice the last word in verse 18 therefore comfort one another with these words kind of interesting his intent was to comfort people but in the midst of him talking about the lord's going to come back with a shout and we're going to be caught up with him in the clouds that has brought a lot of concern in a lot of people because they're oh oh my goodness when is this going to happen and that is the biggest thing everybody wants to know when and 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 I don't really know why we're all seems seems like we're so obsessed with wanting to know what is going to happen. 
perhaps we want to prepare ourselves. Perhaps we don't want to miss something. But at any rate, um, the intent was to comfort the church. It was not to get them upset, not to get them thinking about end time things. Just follow me just for a second. The, the answers that he gives us here, that he's trying to speak to the church at Thessalonica, they are a, they are a word from a pastor's heart. He's not teaching a theological study on last days. Not here. He just wanted to comfort them. He's speaking like a pastor. And so a lot of people want to kind of run with this and go further than really was intended. Now, true, he does talk about this more in Thessalonians, both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And we're going to be looking at all those different aspects. And I admit I'm just as interested in last day's things and end time things and what is going to happen and what is the future. And the more weird things and crazy things that happen in our world, that seems to be a, a fulfillment of scriptures. It piques my interest. Now, one of the most amazing things that I have seen just in my lifetime, and you've seen it in most of your lifetime. And I remember thinking back in the early 80s. Uh, I remember that was just the beginning of the technology when they starting put it, start putting barcodes on things. And when they started putting those barcodes, the technology began to be evolving so that every piece of anything you buy can have a code on it. And so that code will allow what it talks about in Revelation chapter 12, that the day would come, that there would be an antichrist system, and that this system would force every individual uh, to take a mark, a mark of the beast, and that that mark would not allow that, would allow everyone who got the mark would allow them to buy and sell, and if they didn't get it, it would not allow them to buy or sell. And I can remember thinking back when I first read that passage, thinking how impossible that was, and then when that barcode came out in the early 80s, the late 70s, uh, everybody kind of recognized it as this is a potential for this. And now it has progressed so far. You can't hardly buy anything that doesn't have a barcode. Uh, and, of course, I'm sure you read the other day that uh, there was a company that they are actually forcing all their employees to get a little chip in their forehand right in, here in between their thumb and a little chip that goes in here. And, and if they didn't get the chip, they, I guess they don't get to be part of the company. And that would be a time that I would find another job, I believe. And then I read, um, and it's maybe connected, may not be, but I was reading an article uh, that Visa, of course, Visa is one of the largest companies of the world uh, that handles credit cards, but they are now uh, in the attempt to produce a cashless society. And they are paying... Uh, $500,000 to businesses that will do away with cash. They will refuse to take cash anymore. Uh, and if they will agree not to take cash, then they will get this $500,000. But the intent is 
that it will be a cashless society. And I don't know if you've been overseas, but Sweden, Switzerland, a lot of the European nations are upwards of 96 to 97 percent uh, digital, that only two or three percent of the economy is cash. So America is, those powers that be are desiring to go to a cashless society. And all of this, you know, and I know a person, if you talk to a person in the business world, their idea would, hey, this makes perfect sense. Cuts out fraud, cuts out this. You know, they, they can see all kinds of benefits for these chips and all this stuff. But for a Christian we think, this doesn't sound good, you know. And I know they, I, I was reading the article on the little chips, and they said, can you track people with that? And the guy said, oh, no, don't worry about that. We wouldn't track anybody. And I'm saying, yeah, right. <laughs> I trust you, big brother. <laughs> I know you won't track me. But anyway, all of that brings up to, to the idea that we, we are interested so let's look at, I believe, five truths that are within this passage. Not a lot of verses, 13 through 18, but I still believe there's some truths here that and the way he forms things, the way he says things, uh, he has an intent behind that. And so rather than focusing entirely on, quote, the rapture, I would like for us to glean what did he intend so the very first thing that i see here and that is he wants us to know our death in christ is only temporary if we die it's temporary and one of the ways he conveys that is in verse 13 let's go back to verse 13 do you notice the word he used i do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have what fallen asleep that's not the only time that's a pretty familiar way of describing a christian who dies but they don't want to say died fallen asleep even jesus used that term about no it's just asleep just asleep and the idea is to convey to the church that because of the cross because of the resurrection Even if we die, it's still temporary. We will rise again. We will live again. We will have a life with God. uh, And even our physical body that is worn out or died forever, however why it died, that physical body is going to be changed and we're going to be given a new resurrected body. And so it's kind of neat that Paul begins his explanation and comfort to the church by reminding them, hey, our death is just temporary. Just remember that life here is just an entrance into a brand new life in Christ and a life with God in heaven. Um, So... That's the first thing that I see there, and I think it's important. And you notice that the next verse um, focuses on the resurrection. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so will God bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Let me rephrase that. If God raised Jesus from the dead and he didn't leave Jesus in the grave, he's not going to leave you in the grave. That's what he's saying. If Jesus was died and buried and he rose him up, I have good news for you. He's going to raise you up. In the same way the resurrection touched Jesus, the resurrection is going to touch you. Now, Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. We may be there a little longer. But still, it's still saying to us, our life, our death is temporary, and our hope is in the resurrection. The hope that we have for Christ returning is not that some book we read that says Jesus is coming back. Our hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died and he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, you also will rise from the dead. And that's why he told Mary not to worry. You know, uh, Lazarus is going to rise up. And she said, oh, we know he's going to rise in the last day. No, he's rising today. You know, he, he, his death really was temporary. And he rose him from the dead, caused him to rise from the dead. So I think that those two truths that our, our death is temporary. And, I, you know, somebody said at one time, you know, you ought to, we ought to just be able to rent graves, not have to buy them. Since we're not going to have to use them very long. Uh, but actually, it's kind of interesting because later on in Thessalonians, there's, there's a mention of some people who are busybodies who are not working, but just busybodies. Well, you know, not get not busy and, and not keeping a job. And most of them believe that that is directly tied to the idea that Jesus was coming so suddenly that they might as well not go to work. That nobody goes to work because Jesus is coming back any day. And I would like to encourage you to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Do not count on Jesus coming back tomorrow so you don't have to go to work. That It doesn't work that way. That was a problem there, but most of the New Testament was written with the idea that Jesus is coming back soon. They believed Jesus was, he was, his return was imminent. Now, they were wrong. And a lot of us have thought, it's, 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 it's going to happen now. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons he didn't line it out real simply and tell us this is when he's coming back was so that we would live ready and that our focus would not be on the timing of his return. The focus would, would be on us being ready at all times. He really wanted our focus to be on living, not on leaving. So if, if you're one of those, and I have met several people, they're, they're just, all they want to talk about is the second coming and the end times and the last days. And this is this and this is the way. You know, they're so focused on that, they really can't live a normal life. And I don't believe that was the heart of God when he spoke these things. 
He wanted us to be focused on being ready and making sure other people are ready. Winning the lost, bringing other people to Jesus, and living a life where we're ready. And that is his heart. And that's God's heart for us. Now, uh, the third thing that I want to see here, and, and this is pretty obvious, and that is the Lord is coming back. How many of you would agree with that statement? Now, every once in a while, I don't know if you've ever done this, but the idea that suddenly, without warning, the eastern sky is going to split and the Lord himself is going to descend with a great shout. Again, no secret stuff here. Archangel shouting and a loud trumpet. And then the Lord will cause his church to be caught up. And you know, it's going to be the greatest reunion in history. Think about it. The reunion of all those who have died in times past and all those who are alive at His coming, we're all going to have a reunion in the clouds. I guess it's the only place that would hold all of us. (laughs) I mean, it's not like meet at the Superdome. It wouldn't hold us. He says, we will all... And let's look at that again. Go back to that verse again. Uh, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Let's go back to the original uh, translation. Look at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. Dead in Christ will rise first. And then 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. So there's the reunion. Together with them, meaning who? All those who have died before, all from the time of Adam. (laughs) All the time from Adam to that day, all who have died in the Lord will meet and have a reunion with those who are alive and who have trusted in Christ. And they're alive at that time. I tell you, I'm thinking, what a reunion. Can you imagine people in the clouds going around? Hey, you remember me? Man, you've lost weight. I love your wings. They're awesome, man. I don't know. I don't know about wings. But anyway, it's just going to be an amazing reunion and and in the clouds and this is not the only place that seems to say the exact same thing about the meeting in the clouds why in the clouds why in the air i don't know 
I really don't know. And here's another question. And this is, this is not an answered question, but it's worth thinking about. It says, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. We're caught up. We're going to have the reunion. We're going to meet the Lord and all those who have died before in the air. And thus we will be always be with the Lord. It does not say where we're going to go from there. So a couple of options. We could all be going to heaven. We could all be heading back to earth. <laughs> it doesn't really say. So sometimes you have to learn to not say what it doesn't say. You have to learn to interpret things for what it says. And so it does bring up some good questions. Where do we go once we are in the clouds with the Lord, with those we've been reunited with who have died in the Lord before us, where do we go? And I guess the assumption has always been we go to heaven. But it doesn't really say that. So we're going to look at some other scripture to see if we can glean a little bit more. Because as you, this is where a workman has to be a good student of the word. And look at all the verses and all of a sudden then pieces begin to, to fit together. So let me, let's just review things that we know for sure. Okay? Things that we know for certain. Number one, Jesus is coming again. I think we can all agree on that one. Number two, he's coming back for the church. He's not coming back for the world. He's going to judge the world. The world is going to receive the wrath of God, but he's coming for the church, his bride. Third thing, the dead in Christ will not miss this event. And that's what the Thessalonians were concerned about. Our, our loved ones that have died, they're going to miss this. No. He says, no, they're not missing this. That this is going to be a simultaneous event. When the Lord comes, and this is what 1 Corinthians 15 says. It says, the dead in Christ rise, and then we who are alive in a twinkling of a moment will rise also. We'll be changed and be given a glorified body. And then we will be just like those who have been resurrected who are dead. We will be changed. So, they're, they're not going to miss this event. Fourth thing, when he comes, there will be a glorious reunion. Amazing reunion. How many of you have loved ones who have already died? Let me see. Mom, dad, I got two parents. It's going to be a glorious reunion. Father, mother, brother, sister, friends. It's going to be a glorious reunion. Uh, children. Uh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And, and this is uniquely different than the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's something totally different. This is a reunion of those who have died before with those who are alive at His coming. And I would love to, I wish it would say, and you're going to be in this reunion and you're going to have all the time you need. And it's going to last seven weeks, ten days. I don't know. 
but I'm sure God's not going to rush it. I mean, you've been waiting a long time for this, so I'm not thinking he's going to rush it. And then the last thing that we know for certain, the expectation for this event is a reason for the encouragement, not despair. Remember his heart. His heart was not for people to despair or be upset or worried or frustrated. He wanted to encourage or comfort the church. So the word that we have concerning this should encourage us. I mean, the fact that he's coming back for you should be an encouragement. And for those who were undergoing, and you have to realize that Thessalonian church, this, they were undergoing amazing, difficult persecution. And so it was encouraging for them to know that he's coming back. Thank God. And if, he die, if we die early... We are still not going to miss. We are still not going to miss out on the reunion. Okay, so that kind of leads us to the area that um, everybody else talks about, and that is um, the different questions that come up. So let's look at some of the questions that, that are obvious. First question that this brings up, will Jesus return before or after the day of the Lord? And then what is the day of the Lord? Because you hear that phrase all the time, the day of the Lord. So what is that talking about? Uh, And will Jesus return before or after that? Another question that comes up when he comes, and this is what I kind of mentioned a minute ago. Will the church go with him to heaven or will he come to earth with the church? Which is it? I don't know. I, I can't give you a good answer on this one. But. The assumption has always been that he would meet us, be in the cloud, have a great reunion, and we would go to heaven. But it doesn't really say that. So I have to be careful not to say what it doesn't say. And then the last question that comes up, does Christ's return happen in two stages, the rapture and the second coming? And and the rapture does... Every reference we have that seems to point to the rapture talks about us meeting him in the air, in the clouds. The second coming is when he, Jesus, comes, sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. It splits from east to west. And he begins his reign, thousand-year reign here on this earth. That's usually referred to as, sometimes some people call it the glorious appearing. Most just refer that as the second coming of Christ. And then the catching up into the clouds or into the air is referenced as the rapture. So, you may have seen a movie that shows, you know, airplanes crashing out of the sky and Cars crashing into one another because of the rapture. And to be honest with you, I don't know if any of that is true. He doesn't give us a lot of details about what's going to happen on the earth. But there are certain things we do know. And one thing that is clear, and that is when he gathers his church up, there is nothing secret about it. There is nothing 
like just one night everybody's going to go to sleep and then vanish. No. Everything I see indicate shouts, trumpets, descending with a shout. It is a great appearing and all will see him. So, uniquely different than the second coming when he comes. Because it says when he comes to set up his thousand-year millennial reign here on this earth and he, he establishes his kingdom here on this earth, it says his church is coming with him. His people are coming with him. So there has to be, you might say, the catching away before he can come back with his church. But tribulation, ah, there, there's that word. Tribulation, you know, and if you, if you were going to ask somebody, what do you think about the last days? They're going to say pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, or post-tribulation rapture. What in the world are they? Why do they put the word tribulation in there? Well, everybody seems to want to get the timing as it relates to the tribulation. And I've always found that to be a little interesting. Why is it we are so interested in tying in the catching away of the church to the tribulation? And I may make you mad right here. I may believe something that you disagree with. But I have never been a great fan of the pre-tribulation rapture. I know my wife, she's a heavy pre-trib rapture. (laughs) I'm hoping we'll go together, honey. Well, let me say why I say that. Besides the fact that I believe that the pre-tribulation rapture is the weakest scripturally, of those three. Besides that, I have never felt like or felt comfortable with an escapist mentality. And when I say that, I say, I don't think we should be thinking in terms of, quote, getting out of something. Uh, I, you know, and, and most of the people that I've talked to about the pre-tribulation rapture, they so badly do not want to go through any difficult times. <laughs> You're not supposed to say amen there, sweetheart. I'm trying to... Hey, if there's a pre-tribulation rapture and we go out before any difficult times, I'll, I'll be right there with you, honey, and I'll be saying hallelujah, amen, glory to God. But my gut tells me, and what I see in the Scripture, it just seems to be saying that I shouldn't be trying to figure out how I can avoid any difficult times. First of all, a lot of the church of Jesus Christ has undergone tremendous persecution, and many have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. Many have suffered persecution that is unbearable. Today, there are people, Christians, who are being burned alive by ISIS, 
and they, they've been beheaded by ISIS and other uh, radicals. And they would be offended at the idea that we don't have to go through anything bad. And for ages, faithful Christians had been willing to suffer and be faithful to the name of the Lord, even to the point of death. And they're not looking for a way out. They're looking for a way to be a testimony. Now here's another point that I think is valid. In the, remember the story of the ten plagues in Egypt? Remember they had the ten plagues? God put his, uh, I guess you call it an anointing or protection, maybe better term, his seal. His seal, he put it, he sealed his people. And that even though the plagues came, it didn't affect his people. The, the plagues, the, the all sorts of, you know, difficult things, they're sealed by God and therefore protected. And if you study carefully, and we've been through the book of Revelation several times on Wednesday nights, and several of the plagues affected everyone else but did not affect God's people. If you read in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, it talks about how, no, 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 it says, hold up, don't, don't bring this uh, woe yet because the saints of God have not yet been sealed. And I think there is a sealing, a protection that God has for his people. And so I don't, I don't think we should be looking to figure out how we're going to avoid difficult times. We should just really be focused on, you know, we're going to go when it time to go and I really do not know when that is I don't I don't put dates on it I don't put times on it and I don't even tie it into the tribulation you know I'm not interested in how it relates to the tribulation I'm just interested and want to be faithful to the Lord at all times and be ready for him at all times and I want to see that as many people as can will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and, and help them be discipled in Christ. Rather than being focused on, quote, timing, I want to be focused on winning the loss to Jesus and being ready personally. So, that being said, there are a couple of verses I, I, I want to show you. Let's look at. First one is in 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to be interesting how many of these kind of contain some of the same things that we saw in Thessalonians. 1 Corinthians 15, let's look, we're going to read 51 to 58. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet, there's that trumpet again, when the last trumpet is blown, when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. So, doesn't that sound almost exactly what we saw in Thessalonians? Yeah, very similar. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the Scripture will be fulfilled. Death 
is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting, for the sin is the sting that results in death, and law gives its, gives sin its power. But thanks God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong, immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So again, the focus there is we need to be strong in the Lord, working for the Lord, focused on God. He mentioned about how the Lord is going to come. There's going to be a loud trumpet. And then those who are dead are going to rise first. Those who are alive are going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. So it's all really the same picture there that you saw in Thessalonians. Look again. Um, we're going to, this is repeat, but look again, look at 416 of 1 Thessalonians. I know we read this, but let's look at it one more time. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from the grave. So all this, again, sounds just like Thessalonians, just like Corinthians. Now let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Adds a little different element. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come unless there's a great rebellion. And the other translation uses the term falling away. So he said this day is not going to come until there's a rebellion or a falling away. And that would have to refer to the church. I mean, how can you, how can it be a falling away unless you were there first? So there's going to be a time before the return of the Lord that there will be many in the church who fall away. What would cause many in the church to fall away or give up? Ms. Cobb? False prophets? Okay. What, what would cause the church to fall away? Being offended? Yeah. You've listened to me in my sermons, Tracy. You're right. Yes, Terry? Okay, so believe in wrong teaching. Okay, what else would cause the church to fall away? Hey, persecution. Yeah, the heat turns up. Yeah, they start, and, and somebody says, if you, are you one of them crazy Christians? And then they might go a little further and say, you know, if you're one of them crazy Christians, I'm going to fire you from your job. I'm going to get rid of you from this job if you tell me you're one of them crazy Christians who actually believe Jesus is coming back. You don't believe that crazy stuff, do you? What are you going to say? If it costs you your job. Yeah, okay, so that that would be another thing that might cause others to fall away, and that is false signs, false prophets, false teachers that would produce lying miracles that that look good, you know, they impress people, but it's not God, yeah? Anybody else? Well, things that would cause the church to fall away. Anybody? What's that? Not knowing the word, not trusting in the word, 
not standing on the word. And here's the thing. Someone might know what the Bible says, but you have to you have to be willing to stand on that, not just know it. Someone may may know everything the Bible says, but it takes a willingness to stand on it. What else? Yes. Okay. So, we haven't taught our kids. That. Yeah, I love that. Not having your armor on, you better. I mean, we are living in a day of spiritual attack, like I have never seen before. Now we've seen spiritual attack and and the attack of the enemy. We've seen that for, but I want to say I've never seen it. The way it is happening today. A lot of people are under demonic attack. Matter of fact, uh, not this week. This week I'm going to finish up my series, uh, the parable series. And the next week after that, we're beginning a new series called Overcoming. And number one on my list is we're going to preach on overcoming the attacks of the enemy. That is going to be the very first thing on my list because I believe God has, we need to be equipped to know how to stand against the enemy's attacks because he's, he's on the attack. He really is. So anything else? Um, what, what would cause the church? Yes, Brother Eddie. Yeah, and, and it kind of goes back to the Word of God. People have to be willing to stand on the Word and reject what society is pushing because society's trying to get the church focused on all sorts of things that really are not the focus of the church. You know, the church has to be focused on who Jesus is, not who's president or who's not president, you know. He's trying to get us diverted on the wrong things. Yes, Brother Renee? Yeah. So you want me to actually answer that? Well, yeah, I, I, I don't believe they're the same. I don't believe they're the same thing. And, and for this, the term the day of the Lord is used both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And there is not a consensus from Old Testament to New Testament about a specific day. It more seems to be a period of time that refers to the last days. 
And you mentioned something, you touched on something, and and it reminded me I wanted to say this. The word tribulation is true. The Bible talks about a period of time called the tribulation. It also mentions great tribulation. But, take note, the word wrath is uniquely different than the word tribulation. So those terms are not synonymous. That the wrath of God, I believe the Bible clearly teaches that we are going to be kept from the wrath of God. But there is not a scripture that says we're going to escape the tribulation. Some say possibly the great tribulation, but certainly not the tribulation. I don't know. That's kind of here near. Right. For sure, I think the church is going to be out of here before the wrath of God hits. Right. Wrath, yeah. Yeah, and I do agree and I do have always believed that the church is not going to be here for the wrath of God. So, not sure exactly about the rapture of the church falling in the tribulation. More lean toward either the mid part or the latter part. But for sure, the rapture is going to happen before the wrath of God. And much of the last woes and seals would be defined as the wrath of God. I don't think we're going to be here for that, personally. Now, last scripture I want us to look at is Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 29 to 31. Immediately after the anguish of those days, and sometimes the translation, the tribulation of those days, The sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers and the heavens will be shaken. And then, at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. There will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So that agrees with what we read in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians 4, that he appears, and where does he appear? In the clouds or in the air. It adds... Verse 29, it adds the fact that immediately preceding this, and I don't really know how to explain this, but some strange and unusual events in the skies and the heavens will take place. And the picture is is that the sun is darkened, the moon will give no light. Now, you and I know the moon doesn't give light, but the moon reflects the sun, and so if the sun goes dark, then the moon's going to go dark too. And then the stars will fall from the sky. I don't really know what that means other than an amazing meteor shower, which would look like stars falling from heaven. And then the powers and the heavens will be shaken. Not sure what that means. But something seems to reference 
things happen in the heavenlies. Then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Let me just ask you this uh, I'm, I'm, before I finish that last verse. Why? Why are the peoples of the earth mourning when they see Jesus? What is causing that mourning? There will be deep mourning among the peoples of the earth and they will see the Son of Man. And I think that's directly related. So they see Jesus, kind of like the picture in 1 Thessalonians. He'll descend. We will see. There will be a shout. There will be a sign. But here in Matthew, and this is Jesus talking, he says there's going to be great mourning. So my question to you, I have a thought about why. So I'd like to hear, why do you think there's great mourning? Yes, Leverance, what do you think? And, and they're not going to be ready. And what else? They know. Here's the, they know. They're going to see Jesus. And they're going to know they heard it in church. They read it in the Bible. They heard it preached. They know that Jesus is coming. They even know how he's coming. Maybe they were at Living Word Church on August the 16th, 2017, and they know what's happening, but they don't do anything about it. They still have time, but they won't take it. And see, that's the thing of it. That's why they're going to mourn. They know. You know, it would be one thing if you are clueless and you don't know Jesus, you've never heard about Jesus, you've never heard about Jesus appearing in the clouds, you've never heard any of that. When that happens, you're just going to go, what in the world is going on? It's kind of going to be like, wow. But for those who know, they've read it. They've studied it. They've heard it. The preacher has preached it. They see Jesus. Immediately, they're going to begin to mourn. Because they knew. But they didn't do anything about it. What a sad, sad state. I used to sing a song a long time ago. I remember when I first started out singing it. One day too late. I don't know if you've ever heard it. That's an old gospel song. One day too late. I'm not going to burst out singing because I couldn't even remember. The, I can't even remember the words. It's been so long. But I remember it talks about how that the whole world is mourning because Jesus has come and they're one day too late. And they knew better. So my encouragement to you is 
don't be focused on timing. Don't get hung up on whether it's pre, mid, or post-tribulation. To be honest, I could care less. That's not the point of him telling us he's coming back. The point is that you need to be ready and living right and telling as many people as you can and stop wasting your time. And if you know better, do something about it. Don't be one of those who are what Jesus talks about here in Matthew 24. As soon as they see Jesus, they begin to mourn and weep because they know. They know better. Don't, do not be one of those. Bow your heads. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be people who hear and do. Not just a hearer of the word, but doers of the word. And Lord, throughout your word, you remind us you're coming back. And, Lord, we don't know when, but you are coming back, and you are coming back for the church. And that time when you come back will be the greatest reunion in all of history. It will be a glorious time, but, Lord, for some people it will not be glorious. It will be a time of mourning and weeping because they didn't do anything about it when they could have. And, Lord, I pray if there's a person in this room I don't know. I don't know the hearts of every person here, Lord. You do. I don't. But, Lord, if there's a person here tonight and they know better, they were raised better, they were taught the truth, maybe they were taught the truth while they were growing up by their mom, their dad, they learned it in church, but they're not walking it. They're not living it. Lord, I pray that they would do something about it. They would wake up out of their sleep and give their whole whole heart to you. Turn their life to you before it's too late. And Lord, help all of us to be looking forward to your return. It will not be a time of mourning for us, Lord. It'll be shouting time, an exciting time, Lord, when you come back. I bless the name of the Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Teach us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.